Untold Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium, and congratulations, you found us. Perhaps just in time. Come on in out of the dark and the wind and the cold, grab a stool by the fire and warm yourself. You are among friends. You're listening to this radio program, which means you weren't able to attend my live event in Oshawa tonight, Follow the Truth 2. It was uh, an amazing time. We had a great turnout. We had people who came up uh, from Los Angeles and New York. Uh, one person flew in from England just for the conference. If you missed it, don't worry. I'm going to be doing more, and the next one will likely be in Toronto, uh, one in the summer maybe, perhaps another one again in the fall. Just check out the website, followthetruth.tv, and we hope to see you there next time. My story producer, Albert Vinzel, has posted some stories in the highlight carousel at richardserrett.com that I'm sure you'll find interesting, including a blog posting reposted by zerohedge.com that is, quite frankly, kind of chilling. It's called Signs That the Elites Are Feverishly Preparing for Something Big. What in the world are the elite up to? In recent days, we've learned that the New York Fed is moving a lot of operations to Chicago because of concerns about what a natural disaster could do. The U.S. federal government is apparently buying 62 million rounds of ammunition, commonly used in AR-15 semiotic rifles, for training purposes. And NORAD is moving back into Cheyenne Mountain because it's EMP-hardened. In addition, in addition, government authorities have scheduled a whole host of unusual training exercises all over the nation. So... Are the elite doing all of this in order to prepare for something really big? Or should we just chalk it all, all, all this uh, strange activity to rampant government paranoia? That's just one of the stories you'll find posted in the Highlights Carousel at richardserrett.com. And while you're there, make sure to sign up as a member. It's that blue button, the members area blue button just to the left. And once you're a member, and it's quick and easy and free... You'll have easy access to past shows. You can listen to past episodes of The Conspiracy Show dating back to July 2012. Thanks to Eric the Intern for his great work on the website. On tonight's program, lots of headlines the last couple of weeks regarding medical marijuana and the proliferation of medical marijuana clinics and dispensaries in Vancouver. They now have 80, 80 dispensaries. That's right, 8-0. One commentator estimated Vancouver now has more medical marijuana dispensaries than it has Tim Hortons outlets. Calgary is getting its first medical marijuana clinic this month. Here in Toronto, we have about a half dozen dispensaries and more clinics opening up across the city. The number of Canadians authorized to use medical marijuana has been skyrocketing in 2002, a year after the government first permitted access through Health Canada regulation. 500 patients said register. Today, get this, there are more than 50,000, 50,000 medical marijuana patients registered. So, I thought we'd spend the next 45 minutes or so discussing medical marijuana, the new federal regulations, and take a look inside and see how it all works. Ronan Levy is the entrepreneur behind Canadian Cannabis Clinics and Canvas RX, the country's leading medical marijuana specialized clinics and counseling services. Hey, Ronan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm very well. Excellent. Let's uh, first clarify the uh, the new rules regarding medical marijuana. It used to be uh, that, that patients were growing their own. What's yes. changed? 
What's changed is two big pieces, actually. So the first one is under the old regime, which was known as the MMAR. Uh, patients who were prescribed medical marijuana could either grow it for themselves uh, or they could appoint someone to grow it for them. And so you had people growing for themselves or had a whole series of small producers. And generally speaking, those small producers were not terribly well regulated. Uh, and the other piece under the old regime was that to get prescribed, you actually had to go to Health Canada to get permission and to get authorization to possess medical cannabis. Under the new regulations, two big changes. One is Health Canada is no longer involved in the process of prescribing medical cannabis. It's all with your doctor. So any doctor in Canada who feels comfortable doing so is actually perfectly legally capable of prescribing medical cannabis. Um, and the second big shift is that production is now uh, been diverted to uh, a series of licensed producers. So basically the government has gone ahead and created criteria and very strict regulation of who can be authorized to uh, grow medical cannabis. Uh, and so far there's been about 20 licensed producers who have been authorized, but there's been thousands of people who have applied to become these licensed producers. But you need a lot of money, uh, a very secure facility, and, uh, you know, very close adherence to some very strict regulations and procedures in terms of how you grow, uh, virus count, mold, all that kind of stuff to make sure that the end product, the medical cannabis that's being delivered, is as close to pharmaceutical grade as you can get when you're just actually growing a plant. You were trained as a, as a lawyer, and now you're uh, an entrepreneur. You've, you've had a number of interesting startup businesses. Why, why medical marijuana? Were you, were you an activist first, or did you just you see this as a, as a, as a, a niche, uh, uh, as a business venture? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not an activist. Uh, I am fairly libertarian in my views when it comes to drug use and recreational drug use and respect people's to make people's decisions for themselves and treat everyone as ad, an adult. So, uh, I'm okay with it as a concept and people using either cannabis recreationally or medically. Um, but my interest in it was, Partly purely entrepreneurial, just seeing a great opportunity to build a business. But as a, as a personal niche, um, I've really worked in industries that tend to have reputations that tend to be sleazy or th places that people don't necessarily want to associate with. And I, what I like to do is go in to these industries and, and bring a level of integrity and authenticity because a lot of these industries actually have a lot of value and can help a lot of people. And, and right now in medical cannabis, you have the situation where it can, it has the power to help, you know, th hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Canadians relieve suffering from chronic pain or a number of other conditions. But there's still a perception that if you use medical cannabis, you're just using it as a front for, you know, legal recreational use, that it's not really medical. Um, and I want to change that perception. I want help to help people understand that this, this is real medicine. Uh, it can help a lot of people live much better lives and is a better alternative, particularly when it comes to chronic pain, uh, than the opiates that are out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of damage caused to society by people who get addicted to Percocets and other opioids. And cannabis provides a very natural, you know, relatively safe, it's not perfectly safe, but a relatively safe alternative that can pr provide a lot of pain relief and, and help people who are suffering. Uh, so, um, 
Let's start talking about uh, Canadian Cannabis Clinics, and then we'll sure. talk about Canvas uh, RX. Cannab- uh, Canadian Cannabis Clinics, let's start with that. Yeah. So Canadian Cannabis Clinics is a, a series of medical clinics. We now have four in operation, uh, one in St. Catharines, one in London, one in Ottawa, and one in Etobicoke, just outside of Toronto. Uh, and they are medical clinics. They, When you walk into it, it looks like any other doctor's office that you'd walk into in Canada. It's staffed by doctors and medical office assistants. And what we do is we specialize in assessing people for uh, prescription for medical cannabis. Uh, Under the guidelines from the Canadian uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons Ontario and other colleges across Ontario, the people who should be receiving prescriptions um, for medical cannabis, it's a fairly narrow subset of people and they want the people who have tried conventional treatments. So if you suffer from chronic pain uh, or glaucoma, they want to see that you've gone through uh, and tried conventional treatments, i.e. what you'd normally expect your GP to prescribe for you. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then you should, that's when you start to consider medical cannabis as an option. But even then, you know, there's a number of other things that may indicate that you're not actually uh, a suitable candidate for medical cannabis. And that's what our doctors do. So you come in, you check in to the doctor's office just like any other doctor's office and, and then our doctors will will assess you. I mean, we'll do basic basic physical in terms of taking your, your temperature and your blood pressure and all that kind of stuff to make sure that you actually have the physical strength and stamina to actually be a cannabis patient. Uh, and then, you know, there's another, another a whole other series of, you know, questions and, and things you've got to go through to see if you actually qualify. For example, if you have a history of addiction, you're probably not going to be prescribed medical cannabis for the obvious reasons. But but that's essentially it. By the time you finish seeing our doctor, if you're a, a suitable candidate, they will prescribe medical cannabis for you. And, and it's just like a doctor's office in every other respect like that. So do you uh, then sort of act as a liaison between one of the licensed growers or uh, producers of medical marijuana and the patient? Yeah, so Canadian Cannabis Clinics doesn't do that specifically. We actually have a service that you mentioned before, Canvas RX, that does that. So after you see the doctor, if you are prescribed, uh, then you sit down and talk to one of our cannabis counselors. And I should note that all of these services are provided for free. So when you see a doctor, uh, it's covered by OHIP in Ontario, so you don't pay anything. When you sit down with our cannabis counselors, it's provided for free, so you don't do you don't have to pay anything either. Uh, and our cannabis counselor will essentially do a lot of the stuff that you would expect to have a doctor provide to you, but doesn't necessarily make sense for a doctor to spend that time with you because they can serve their time better seeing other patients. So the cannabis counselor will teach you about medical cannabis. They'll teach you about how to consume it. So obviously we don't recommend that people smoke it um, because of concerns around cancer and and your lungs. Uh, So we suggest that people vaporize it, which heats the cannabis up to a temperature below the combustion point, but at a high enough point where the active chemicals, THC and CBD, and and there's a whole bunch of others, but those are the two primary ones, get released and can actually be inhaled so you can consume it. Um, If you're not a candidate for smoking, we'll we'll teach you and how, or not a candidate for vaporizing. So if you have emphysema or something along those lines, we'll teach you how to, you know, make teas with it, make butters with it. So you walk out of the appointment well-informed about what you can do with it. We also help you select a strain. So there's seven 
17 licensed producers in Canada who are selling to patients right now, and all of them have between five and 20 different strains that they're selling. So there are a lot I, of. Let options. me just uh, jump in, Ronan. Excuse me. I do want to pursue that. I want to. I want to talk about how you match strains to particular mm-hmm. symptoms and, and diseases and so forth. We'll sure. do that when we come back. Ronan Levy is an entrepreneur and uh, one of the co-founders of Canadian Cannabis Clinics and Canvas RX, the country's leading medical marijuana specialized clinic and counseling service. Where there's smoke, there's the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett. We are back. Ronan Levy is uh, with us. Canadian Cannabis Clinics and Canvas RX. Again, we're talking medical marijuana. Uh, you you mentioned the um, was it 17 licensed uh, marijuana medical marijuana producers across Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm fascinated about the the, the various strains. Uh, of, of medical marijuana or the cannabis plant and how you are matching those uh, to, to a patient's particular symptom. So tell me more about that. Sure. So what we do right now is if a, if a patient is prescribed, they sit down with one of our cannabis counselors and the cannabis counselor will help them understand the options that are available amongst uh, across Canada. So there's all the different producers with all their different strains and you know, right now, because it's not a pharmaceutical product, it doesn't go through the double-blind placebo testing that all pharmaceuticals go through, there's a, there's a lack of information uh, in terms of what strains are, are best suited for you. And so what our counselors do, they take the available information. Many of our counselors actually are, are medical marijuana patients themselves, so they're extremely familiar with it. And we present the options Um you know, the, there's different ways to categorize medical cannabis. You can look at whether it's sativa or indica. You can look at the THC percentage, uh, the CBD percentage. Uh, the producers have different characteristics. So some are organic, some are more, you know, try to create in a, in a pharmaceutical kind of environment and all that kind of stuff. And we help patients uh, really drill down to figure out what may be best suited for them because it's not like a pharmaceutical product where we can say definitively that this this strain of medical cannabis will treat your glaucoma well. It's a, a little bit of a, you know, a test and response. Try these few strains, which other patients have used very well and found good relief using these strains. And if it works for you, great, we'll keep you on it. And if it doesn't, well, the next time you come back in three months to get renew your prescription, we'll, we'll try out some new ones to find the ones that work for you uh, best. E- even though right now there isn't a, a lot of science that exists for each individual strain within Canada... I would guess it would be largely anecdotal at this point. It's exactly largely anecdotal. Um, you know, there, there is a good amount of evidence to say that, broadly speaking, cannabis is effective as an effective therapeutic option for pain or, or glaucoma, generally speaking, as cannabis. But for specific strains, it's, it's still a little bit unknown. And so every time a patient comes back to us uh, and sees our doctor again, we actually comp- ask them to complete a, a very extensive survey to find out if it worked, find out if side effects and, you know, any other information that we think may be relevant to really make the selection less of an art and more of a science. And so, you know, we've helped thousands of patients now, and now we have a very significant database to say, okay, we've seen 60 patients who have come in for glaucoma, uh, and we've found that 58 have found this particular strain uh, highly effective. And so we, we're trying to build that that 
that database of information that can really start to drill down. So we know if you're coming in, you know, if you're a single, uh, a white male, you know, who's 50 years old and coming in for this, we can say like, okay, white males that we've seen of this age group have found this strain very effective. And so it's not perfect science, but it's getting a lot better uh, than the anecdotal information that's typically been relied on to this point. And, and uh, you know, granted, you're not a, a botanist or a horticulturalist, but with, uh, how are these strains being developed? I mean, uh, can you can you give me a, a sort of a glimpse into that whole process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, cannabis is a is a plant, and so there's many different strains that have existed all around the world for you know millions of years, and and some of them have been cultivated for the black market over the last hundred years or so, and so a lot of the producers have started with the the black market strains. The you know, if you're at all familiar with the marijuana black market, you'll recognize names like OG Kush and AK47 and all that kind of stuff and so they took those strains and now you know applying modern growing techniques techniques and hybridization they're taking those strains and trying to create new strains that have different profiles based on on their THC on their CBD um, their terpene profiles in Canada the producers aren't really required to talk about the terpenes but the terpenes are the hundreds of other chemicals that give a lot of with flavor, and I, I don't just mean that as in taste, but in terms of the experience that one has with medical cannabis. Right, because it's uh, not all about the THC, right? I mean, that's the act. That's those are the. Uh, that's what gives gets you the high, correct? Yeah, THC is what gives you the euphoric high, um, and that's what most recreational people, uh, recreational users are looking for. CBD is is a, being hailed a little bit, probably overly so, as as a bit of a cure-all because it has anti-inflammatory properties, has anti-pain properties, it has anti-nausea properties, and it does it all without getting you high. So right. there are some strains in Canada that have virtually very little or virtually no THC, and between you know eight and fourteen percent. CBD, so you can actually smoke it or, or vaporize it or consume it uh, and not get high but still get the benefits of it, which is great for you know professionals out there who can't go to work high because it actually impa- impairs their judgment, but they want the benefits and, and the relief that comes from medical cannabis any, uh, regardless. And so there's a lot of effort being put into focusing on CBD, extracting CBD, even though uh, in Canada extracts are still technically illegal. We expect that they're going to be made legal somehow or in some way, and particularly in the U.S., uh, CBD is, is a big focus right now in terms of extracts because you get a lot of the benefits without some of the – some people like the side effect of getting high, but if that's not what you're interested in, then you can actually get the benefit of medical cannabis without the high. Now, if, uh, let's say, for example, you're um, under, undergoing uh, chemotherapy, Yep. Uh, which, you know, can obviously do a number on someone's appetite, etc. Uh, is, uh, first of all, uh, someone who is undergoing chemotherapy, would they be a candidate uh, for medical marijuana? Absolutely. Uh, coincidentally, my mom was going through chemotherapy about four or five months ago, and, and she was a successful candidate for medical marijuana. And, and so absolutely, uh, obviously, again, particularly with cancer, uh, we're, we're very cautious against people smoking it, so we strongly encourage that they vaporize it or find a different way to consume it. But it, uh, it can be extremely beneficial. It doesn't cure cancer, although there's some people out there who suggest it does, but scientifically, at least as far 
far as we know, it does not. So, but it does it does provide a lot of pain relief. It does stimulate the ear appetite, so you can actually eat, which keeps your strength up, and and it just helps you get through what is, you know, what now I've witnessed firsthand is a truly awful, awful experience going through chemo. chemotherapy. And is is it the THC that is the appetite stimulant in that case? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head. I think both THC and CBD have an impact on that, but I can't say for certain. Uh, and what are some of the other, um, uh, I think you mentioned glaucoma, or, or maybe not, but I, I would imagine yep. glaucoma is certainly uh, something that can be uh, treated with, with uh, medical marijuana. What are some of the other uh, ailments? Yeah, so the patients coming through our clinic, uh, pain in any number of forms is definitely the most common. About 60% of our patients come in for chronic pain, arthritis, whether it's rheumatoid or osteo or inflammatory. That's by far the most common. Then uh, anxiety and depression are very common uh, uh, conditions that people come in looking for. Medical cannabis for uh, MS and the spasticity associated with it chemotherapy and cancer, um, uh, multiple sclerosis, if I didn't mention that one already. Uh, epilepsy is another common one we have seen, not not too many, but we've definitely seen some uh, pediatric patients whose parents have come in because their kids uh, suffer you know, seizures hundreds of times a day. We actually have one patient um, who came in, her mom and him came in. He suffered hundreds of seizures a day, and this was back in October, and ever since being prescribed medical cannabis, I think he's had maybe one seizure since, and it's really given him a quality of life that he never had before. I'm so. glad you mentioned that, because this is obviously very controversial whenever you talk about uh, you know administering um, marijuana to, to children. I saw a, um, I, I believe it was a 2020, Yep. On, on ABC and a, and a couple in New Jersey, uh, where until very recently they uh, were not permitting. I'm not sure exactly what the, the holdup was, but uh, Governor Chris Christie was was not going to pass into law this a particular medical marijuana bill. So this couple was forced to take their child to Colorado and locate there permanently uh, because their child was having multiple multiple epileptic seizures, uh, as you say, every day. And uh, the in this particular case, again, it's it's anecdotal, but the turnaround was absolutely the transformation remarkable. What can you tell me about the the science or the the present research in terms of uh, medical marijuana treating uh, epilepsy in children? Um, truthfully, the science is is kind of exactly where all other science is in respect of cannabis. Uh, there's a lot of there is basic elemental science that says cannabis can be an effective treatment uh, for seizure disorders like epilepsy. Uh, in terms of drilling down to say, I mean, I think I don't know if the specific story you're talking about is the Charlotte's Web story that people seem to be. Yes, yes, with that's the days. plant. That's the actual plant that uh, has been developed. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there's just there, there are not nearly enough controlled science, scientific studies to actually say effectively uh, in a scientific manner that this is an effective treatment for epilepsy. That being said, there seems to be a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, out there to suggest it, it may be a very effective option. And 
you know, it, anytime you're administering any drugs, whether it's a pharmaceutical or if it's medical cannabis, there's always a risk associated with administering drugs to children. Uh, I think the perception around cannabis, you know, in light of its history over the last hundred years, makes this particularly shocking. It, it sounds like feeding your kid vodka or something along those lines. It sounds like something you don't do, uh, except it, it is much different. And, and that's exactly what we're trying to do at Canadian Cannabis Clinics is trying to change the perception that this is in fact medicine and it's good medicine and, and it's natural and as with every medicine it has risks associated with it particularly in pediatric uh, patients I mean there's science out there that seems to suggest that people who use cannabis on a frequent basis under the age of 25 really increase their likelihood of having uh, psychological disorders later in life schizophrenia in particular and so it's it's definitely a, an option of last resort. It's not something you want to try at first because there are potential consequences associated with it. That being said, if you're without option, it's it's definitely a anecdotally at least an effective choice for some people. And so I understand why there's outrage when people administer marijuana to their children. I think that outrage is in part fueled by perceptions that still negative stereotypes around I agree. You know, where is marijuana. the where is the outrage uh you know how many Hundreds of thousands of people die every year from prescription drugs. Absolutely, uh, and and they're and they're taking them properly in some cases. Mm-hmm. Where is the, where is the outrage there? Uh, it, it seems to me there's just in, the, the hypocrisy here. Uh, you know the double standard applying it to marijuana when uh, you know how many people have died uh, you know from from taking the occasional toke. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, um, and, and it's interesting how it's come full circle, isn't it? Because there was a time when you would find a vial of cannabis oil in just about every doctor's little black bag. Mm-hmm. When did that change? Uh, I think it changed in the 1920s or 30s, right around the same time as, as prohibition came and went. Uh, there was a, a big push towards eliminating any vices in society. Uh, who knows why the prohibition on alcohol actually, you know, it, it probably is because alcohol is extremely much more addictive um, than, than uh, cannabis. And so when you took that away, you had a lot of very angry people who uh, wanted to push through prohibition, whereas, you know, the consequences of alcohol consumption tend to be addiction and much more aggressive behavior. When it comes to cannabis, it doesn't create aggressive behavior. Typically, it can. It's not 100%. But, uh, you know, the general result is people are fairly relaxed and fairly content. And so you didn't have the same level of outrage because you didn't have the addiction. You didn't have that push. You also didn't have that societal integration um, when when it was uh, criminalized back, I think it was in the 30s. And then, you know, the government did a very good job. You still see it today, uh, creating this perception of reefer madness. And even though, you know, in polls across Canada and the U.S., most people are open to legalization, at least with respect to medical marijuana, even, even possibly recreational, there's still a very insidious perception that people who use it for medical purposes are are just recreational drug users looking for a legal way to get access to it. And, and it's so unfair. Uh, and it's, it's unfair to paint them with the blush of, of the typical stoner of, you know, a lazy person who sits in their basement eating Doritos. 
you know, one of the things we're trying to do right now is really put a, a real face on this and say, like, no, this is your neighbor, this is your friend. There's lots of people out there who are very successful, very professional, and who use medical cannabis to help them, you know, get through life because they're suffering from some from some chronic condition. Well, as state by state, uh, you know, medical marijuana uh, legalization comes on board, the, the tide is definitely turning, and uh, it's just a matter of time. Ronan, uh, stay put, we'll come back and uh, talk some more. Ron, uh, Ronan Levy is the co-founder of Canadian Cannabis Clinics and Canvas RX, the country's leading medical marijuana specialized clinic and counseling service. More when the Conspiracy Show returns right after this. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations, what goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're uh, talking with Ronan Levy, Canadian Cannabis Clinics and Canvas RX. Now, Canvas RX, uh, tell me about the database. Uh, you, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but uh, what exactly, uh, what is this database all about? Sure. So when a patient comes through and sits down with their counselor the first time, we help them select a strain. When they come back a few months later, typically our prescriptions are written for about three months, um, just in good medical practice to be prudent and making sure it's working and it's not being diverted. Uh, when a patient comes back, they sit down and they sit down with their cannabis counselor. <coughs> Excuse me. And they're asked to complete, as part of the process, a fairly extensive survey. Uh, and the survey makes note of what they were prescribed, um, what strains they used, how much of the strain they've used, because very often, you know, anytime you get a prescription, sometimes they'll get 50 pills, but only end up taking 30. And, and that happens here as well. Uh, cannabis is... Unlike a pharmaceutical, you use it when you need it to address your symptom. And so sometimes that involves taking less than, than more. Um, and so you fill out how much you've used, the strains, the impact, was it effective, were there side effects? And it's a, it's a lengthy survey that takes probably about 15 or 20 minutes to complete. And we take all of that information and, and we're compiling it into a database. And, and really the goal is to bring the level of science uh, up to a much higher level than it's been. Uh, with so many strains, it's, it's really difficult to get that level of granularity uh, into the science. But because we see so many patients <clears throat> who come back frequently, we actually get a lot, a lot of opportunity to collect this database across all licensed producers. While, uh, while each licensed producer is doing their own science on their own strains, you know, they only have five of the couple hundred that are now available in Canada. So we get a much broader perspective and, and we work with a medical advisor, uh, a group of medical advisors, um, one of whom is associated with the University Health Network in Toronto and St. Mike's Hospital, uh, and he's taking in this database and really trying to put it through rigorous science. So we're going to be releasing a, a preliminary survey of the results of these, these uh, uh, releasing a preliminary study of the results of these surveys in the next month or so, talking about who the average user is, what strains are working for what kind of thing, and at a very high level, 
but we also have a, an application before the Research Ethics Board at the University of Toronto uh, to go much further. Uh, so starting to get into double-blind placebo testing and really elevate the level of science because one of the big restrictions are around medical cannabis is doctors aren't willing to prescribe simply because they don't know enough and because the science isn't there. Uh, we're trying to provide the education. The education, I think, is coming a lot faster than the science, but the science is starting to catch up, and, and we really want to be on the forefront of that. Those studies are expensive. They are. So, they uh, I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of the conundrum? Because when we're talking about big pharma, obviously, you know, there are billions and billions of dollars to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with medical marijuana, um, it's not at that level, obviously, yet. So, and how are these, how are these f- studies to be funded then? You know what, that, that's a good question. Right now, we're doing what we can with the resources we have. Uh, there are a lot of patients who are using it. I, I'm quite confident that <laughs> medical cannabis is one of the fastest growing prescription medications in Canada. Um, and so, you know, we're, there's more and more data out there. Uh, and, and even though we're not necessarily doing double-blind placebo testing with it, we are getting a lot of feedback that we can, you know, show on a, a statistically significant basis its efficacy. Um, it's, it's not quite the same, but it's, it's better than, than nothing, that's for sure. And uh, did, you, did you say that there are something like 200 different um, strains now of medical marijuana? Yeah, Um each licensed producer is branding their strains as as their own brand. So, you know, one one producer may have an OG Kush that's branded X and another producer may have an OG Kush that's branded Y. And so, you know, on one level, they're branded differently, so we call them separate strains. On another level, they're the same strain because they're both premised on OG Kush. But on a deeper level, they're actually fundamentally different. It's It's... In some respects, kind of like wine, that if you grow uh, a grape in one kind of environment uh, and produce a wine from it, you're going to get a type of wine. But if you take that exact same grape and move it across the country and then grow it in a different environment, you're going to have a very different wine that results. And so you have producers, even though they're producing the same street name strain, the actual product is going to be very different. Different. So yeah, we're we're you know in the neighborhood of 200 strains in Canada, even though some of them may have come from the same variety. Varietal, varietal, so to speak, uh, they are actually very different. All right, uh, Ronan, we'll take one final time out, come back. A few more questions remain. Ronan Levy, Canadian Cannabis Clinics and Cannabis RX. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, Ronan, uh, Tell me a little bit about, uh, give me a profile of some of these uh, these producers, 17 of them nationwide. First of all, uh, I don't know, just sort of intuitively I'm thinking many of them may be located out on the uh, the left coast in British Columbia. Yep, there are some out in British Columbia. Uh, the majority are actually in Ontario. Uh, there's one in, in Manitoba right now, um, and uh, I think one or two licensed in, in the East Coast. So Organogram is in Nova Scotia. In Ontario, you have licensed producers like Afria, uh, Tweed is Ontario, Bedrican, Medrelief, um, a few others, and on, and, and BC, Tilray is the, the most well-known. Um, but there's also another one called Broken Coast Cannabis and uh, Canamed. 
which is in the Midwest, is uh, used to be under the MMAR. There was one one grower authorized by Health Canada uh, that was called Prairie Plant Systems, and they became Canamed. So you have the full spectrum. I mean, some of them are, are almost like mom and pop shops run by families. Others are very sophisticated organizations that have used the public markets to raise a whole bunch of capital uh, to build out their facilities, and and so you have the full spectrum of different business operators within within the community. I would imagine it would be if one were interested in getting involved. In- in in cultivating medical marijuana, it would be a regulatory nightmare. How does one begin? Yeah, uh, it is a regulatory nightmare. It costs hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, truly to get into it. Uh, even though there's 17 applicants who have been authorized, there's uh, there were something like a 1,000 applications received. And where do you start? I mean, it starts by downloading the application form and finding out what the requirements are. There are strict regulatory requirements in terms of who you are, so the principals in the business have to go through a series of of um, approvals, RCMP approval and all that kind of stuff to ensure that they don't have criminal backgrounds. Uh, you need to have qualified, not qualified, uh, but you need to have a, a, a grower who's going to be doing the growing for you. You need to have a facility identified. Uh, many people build the facility before the facility is actually authorized. It costs millions of dollars to build that facility because it has to be of a certain scale if you're actually going to make this a business. But then again, you also need very strict uh, requirements in terms of having a safe where you store the medical cannabis in terms of having cameras and security systems to keep everything safe. Uh, Truthfully, the regulations have changed since last year when they first came out with them because as more growers get authorized, you know, Health Canada learns and adapts and changes the rules and and usually makes them more cumbersome to make sure everything's secure. Uh, And so these days, most people who are considering it, the first thing they do is hire a consultant uh, or a lawyer to help them get through the application process because, you know, if you drop the ball on on your initial application, you'll just get struck out. There are too many applications out there that if you're not standing up, if yours doesn't look decent, then you don't have a really a, a hope in hell of actually getting off. And and who, uh, I mean, there's probably not a sort of a typical profile, but what types of people are, are getting involved? Are they, for example, uh, let's say former tobacco farmers or, or someone, you know, uh, someone that's been involved in agriculture that's that's looking for a new cash crop? Yeah, it, it has been, absolutely. Um, there are definitely some people who come from agricultural backgrounds, and truthfully, it makes a lot of sense because they know how to grow plants and uh, do it on a, a large-scale basis. So <clears throat> it's it's smart for them. Other people, uh, you know, uh, Tweed, for example, up in Smith Falls, they bought uh, the old Hershey factory, and they're doing it all indoors, and, and they brought in a, a grower who had experience Um and so you, you have the, the full spectrum of people trying to do this in different ways. I've met other applicant LPs who have bought, uh, purchased, um, you know, these standalone uh, sort of greenhouses where they can actually control the humidity and the barometer and all that kind of stuff. So if they're growing a strain that was originally from the Himalayas, they can actually replicate the environmental con- conditions of what it would be like in the Himalayas to grow it. So there's a whole bunch of people coming at it from different avenues, from different backgrounds. Uh, a lot of a lot, a lot more than I expected are coming from a very scientific and, and modern industrial approach to growing it, as opposed to you know growing it in the ground. Almost all of them are in greenhouses. Uh, not 
not all of them, but a lot of them are in greenhouses simply because it tends to be lower cost than building in, a, in, a, in an indoor facility, but it, it's all over the place. And what are the security requirements? I mean, is there, a, is there a, a regulation or a manual that lays out how a facility is to be secured? High, you know, the, the, the height of the fence, guard dogs? There is. I haven't read it. I, uh, you know, I'm a busy person and it's a long list of requirements that you have to meet in terms of being able to get a, a license. But I know the, the, the bar is set very high uh, and it's not cheap to comply with it. That's for sure. But you, but you have been out to one of these uh, producers, I'm assuming, or? I have, yes. And what, what do you typically see when you go out there? Um, it depends, uh, but there's there's usually a, a screening protocol where you have to check in and they you know confirm your identity and then you walk in and and you're never left alone at least to the extent that you're near the the actual growing plants or the 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 products that have been cut. Um, otherwise, you know sometimes they look like farms as you'd expect. Other times they look like you know highly secure facilities where there's passcodes on every single doorway that you have to go through. Um, it, it really depends on the circumstances, but all of them are, are very strict. Health Canada is doing spot checks on, on them all the time to make sure the security pr- protocols are being followed. Uh, and so you're never left alone for very long if you're anywhere close to the actual cannabis. Um, uh, otherwise, they're typically highly clean, very efficient, very very nice facilities uh, as, as they have to be. And, and how do they make their money? When the marijuana, the medical marijuana goes to the dispensary, wherever that is, for the patient to pick up, do they, they, they don't pay for the services to see the doctor, but do they pay for the actual cannabis? Yeah, so, I mean, you raise an important distinction. So dispensaries in Canada are actually technically, <clears throat> with some exceptions, illegal. Uh, so when you do get prescribed, you can't actually go to a dispensary just like a pharmacy. You can not legally because they are there, but you shouldn't be under the the, the MMPR. Um, so when you do get a prescription, what you do is actually you go online or by phone and you register with a licensed producer, uh, and then the licensed producer will ship it to you uh, to your address, uh, and that's how you get it. And how the licensed producers make money? Well, they sell the the products just like any other pharmaceutical product. Prices range from five dollars typically to fifteen dollars per gram. Uh, so it is quite expensive, and, and the real challenge, I think, for the industry overall is that unlike most other med- uh, prescription medicines that will be covered by health insurance plans there, uh, with the exception of very rare cases, uh, medical cannabis is not covered by insurance plans. So if you're paying you know, $10 a gram and you're using a gram a day, it's $300 a month uh, to kind of keep up with your medicine, which is a significant expense given that most of the people that we're seeing are injured people and so often they're on some sort of disability benefit because they can't work anymore and they're looking because of the pain that they're in and so they're looking for relief but it costs them a lot of money. Well, has any consideration been given to the fact that uh, if someone is um, you know using medical marijuana uh, as opposed to uh, you know Taking their drug card and, and uh, you know going to the uh, the pharmacy and getting far more expensive pharmaceuticals, which the government pays for in part, that this could end up you know saving the healthcare system in the long run. 
Absolutely. I mean, we haven't done the run the numbers, but uh, I think all of us internally believe that there's a, a huge cost savings to the government and society as a whole um, from from medical cannabis, particularly vis-a-vis opioids. <clears throat> One of our medical advisors has come forth and said that even though opioids are the first-line treatment for chronic pain, uh, actually cannabinoids should be first, and there's two reasons for that. One is opioids have a high risk of harm. Yeah, there's addiction, overdose, it happens way too frequently, and it's been shown that opioids after a year or so aren't actually very effective at managing pain. For cannabinoids, um, you know, you, you don't have as much evidence to show that it is effective but you also don't have the evidence to show that it's not effective. So it's it's more of an unknown, whereas it's a known non-effective product with opioids. But the point he raises in light of that is like there's there's a very little harm. There's strong evidence that there's little harm of cannabinoids. And so if you could actually move a lot of those people on, who are addicted to opioids or prevent people from going on opioids in the first place and moving them over to cannabinoids, uh, you could save a ton of money to the health insurance systems. You know, there's a lot of methadone clinics out there trying to help people on who are addicted to opioids titrate off. If you don't have those people addicted to opioids on, in the first place because they started with cannabinoids, you have a, a huge, huge expense taken off the books of the health insurance plans in each province. Uh, it could be an incredible cost savings just in that category alone, let alone the other ones where the government is subsidizing you know, very expensive pharmaceuticals uh, with something that could be a very, not cheap, but very natural, natural and very affordable product. Are there enough producers to, to fill the demand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> excuse me. From an industry perspective, it's actually one of the challenges, which is because all of the colleges have come out against doctors prescribing medical cannabis because Health Canada has put a high, you know, threshold in terms of who qualifies. Uh, there aren't a lot of patients actually getting on board, not nearly as many, I think, as most people expected, but you have these producers who are ramping up supply. So supply is uh, is far exceeding uh, demand right now, so there's no shortage. When the industry first launched about a year ago, there was a big shortage um, that because it was a plant and you have to you know, grow and harvest a plant and that takes time. Uh, but now that the producers have become more efficient, have had a few cycles of harvest, they have lots of supply. So there's definitely no shortage in Canada for any patients who are looking. But isn't it probably true, uh, we're speculating here, Ronan, that, that yeah. the vast majority of, of people that are smoking for medicinal reasons, or not necessarily smoking, but w- whatever, making butter, etc., yep. are self-medicating and going through the black market. If they were to go through proper channels, you would have a huge influx of patients. Absolutely. Um, if they went through the proper channels and they actually met the threshold. So you have a lot of people out there who are self-medicating who, at least right now, given the guidance from the colleges out there, would never actually qualify to receive a prescription because either they have histories of addiction or, or whatever the case may be. And so even if they went to their doctor, their doctor would say, I know you're self-medicating. I know you're smoking street off, um, you know, weed off the street. But I still can't prescribe you because if I prescribe you and something goes wrong, you know, that's my medical license that's out the door. And it just doesn't make sense for me to take that risk. So they and give so, an addictive personality, they'll put them on opiates rather than cannabinoids? I know. It's, it, <laughs> it, I mean, obviously they shouldn't be, but it is kind of crazy when you think about that. Absolutely. Sure. Ronan, I wish we had more time. Uh, but thank you for uh, giving us some insights into, uh, into the medical marijuana, medical marijuana 
uh, not only the industry but um, uh, your end of it, the research and uh, the, the clinics and so forth. It's it's fascinating, and I, and I applaud your efforts. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and I, I'm happy to you know help people become aware of it. There's uh, there's still a lot of misconceptions out there, and so anything we can do to remove those misconceptions and and you know help people find medicine that really helps them, you know, it's it's I'm happy to be doing that. Quickly, leave us with a website. Uh, yeah, so you can go to cannabisclinics.ca or canvasrx.com. Uh, CanvasRx has a list of all the strains in Canada and a lot of reviews, and cannabisclinics.ca is just the website for uh, our clinics. You can find out our locations and find out what you have to do to come see our doctors. Thanks very much, Ronan. Thank you very much. The website for this program, richardsarrett.com, as always, follow the truth.